On this bonus episode of Common Mystics, we conclude our discussion about spiritual possession. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. And today, we bring you the second half of our two-part series looking at two real cases of possession that inspired the 1973 film, The Exorcist. I almost wanted to be like, we're scared shitless, but I decided not to. (laughs) That's fair. I really am scared. I know. I'm scared too, but we'll get into it. These two cases were said to have inspired William Blatty's The Exorcist, right? That's right. That's my understanding, yes. So there's two of them that we found. Although there are a lot of cases out there that do claim to be inspiration for The Exorcist. Like everyone. Exactly. Yeah. But these two feel like legit. They feel very close to the narrative and the experiences that were described in the book and the movie. I agree. So Emma Schmidt is our first case, lesser known. She um, was from the 1920s is when her case was really documented. And then the second is Robbie, we're calling him. It's not his real name because the man had a family and descendants, and it's just not necessary to give his real identity. That, and I don't think Emma's real name is actually Emma anyway, Mm -hmm. so why call out the real guy? So these are the two cases we're going to be looking at, and I'm really excited to share them with you folks today. How about you? (laughs) You want to start talking about Emma? (laughs) No, you tell me about her like when you do it. (laughs) Okay. Emma, we think, was born around 1882, and she lived in Marathon, Wisconsin, which is in central Wisconsin. Apparently, around the age of 14 she began to manifest demonic possession-like symptoms. Mm. So although when she was 14, she started manifesting those symptoms, she didn't seek help until 1912, and she was about in her 30s. And at that time, she approached or had gotten contact with a father from the church. What's his name? Father Theophilus Reisinger. Can we just call him Father Theo? That's fine. I feel like I know him. Mm Mm-hmm. He was a Capuchin friar and a Catholic priest who was in a parish in Appleton, Wisconsin. So he was right in the area. He was kind of a superhero when it came to exorcisms, though. Yeah, no, this was his first one. And Mm -hmm. this Emma's case like shot him into the um, into the area as being like a well-known demonologist and an exorcist for the Mm -hmm. Catholic Church. Yeah. And so in 1912... Emma, we believe, was about 30 years old. He performs his first exorcism on her, and it appeared to be a success. Yeah, he patted himself on the back. He sure did. Shook her hand. Mm Mm-hmm. Went off, found more folks to exercise, to expel them demons. But that wasn't the end of Emma's story. Mm, That doesn't sound good. Mm -mm. Fast forward to 1928. And now Emma is in her 40s. And once again, she's experiencing her symptoms. In the outline, I wrote the demon invaders would resurface again many years later. And I just like the sound of that. I was very proud of that. But Mm -hmm. please continue. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about her condition here. Okay. Tell me. So what was happening to her was that although she had always been a very pious and respectable person 
And even though throughout most of her youth, she was she was religious and she experienced the sacraments of the Catholic Church. She was a churchgoer. Suddenly, when she wanted to pray, she couldn't pray. Mm. When she wanted to go to church, she couldn't go to church. Like there was a force compelling her not to. She couldn't receive Holy Communion anymore. Oh, Jesus. Can you imagine? Ooh. Moreover, there were sinister inner voices that would suggest unmentionable things to her. Yeah. And she was compelled to do things like shatter the holy water font Mm-mm-mm. or attack her spiritual advisor like she wanted to suffocate him. Oh, my God. These powerful, malevolent feelings in her were making her think that she was going insane. Well, okay, that's all scary. But was it at all possible that bitch was just crazy? I think at this point, yes. I would say yes. (laughs) No offense, Emma. It is 100% possible in my mind, knowing this much, that, yeah, she's going insane. Because think about it. What if, I mean, it would make sense to me if she's actually getting angry and targeting religious symbols and her spiritual advisor, it feels like a real almost like 180 from her very pious upbringing, right? Mm -hmm. So that seems like it could be like a manifestation of some kind of mental illness. Sure could. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, she did go to the doctor. Oh. And she she actually went to many different doctors, and they looked into her symptoms and her condition, and she went to the best specialists in the profession. Now, it doesn't say here. I'm not sure if she saw psychiatrists or like general practitioners, but it, my sense is that she she saw a lot of different doctors, and they all unanimously said she was completely normal, at least physically. She was normal. There was no indication of any sort of physical illness, and they could not help her. Okay, so okay, so what would be done with Emma, who's violent, who's acting out as it seems? What right. would be done with her? Well, she already had the one exorcism in 1912 that, you know, was kind of successful, I guess, but mm-hmm. not entirely because here we are again. Here we are <laughs> again and it's getting worse. So now it's 1928 and she goes back to Father Theo, who's now really popular as mm-hmm. the exorcist in the area, right? Sure. So she goes to him and he his initial thought is, well, we can do an exorcism, but I don't want to do it here where we live. Like, not in this hometown. We want to respect mm-hmm. her privacy. Her anonymity, it's, and it's such a small area. Right. Everybody knows everybody. We don't want everyone talking about your business. So he has a friend, Reverend Joseph Steiger. We're going to call him Reverend Joe or Father Joe. You know what's weird? I'm just going to stop you because I just had this thought. Isn't it weird that in 1928 he left Appleton in Marathon, Wisconsin to have the second exorcism? When he didn't leave town in 1912? Right. Isn't that interesting? Maybe now because he's more famous, more renowned, maybe maybe people are watching a little more closely. Mm, Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Now if he's a famous exorcist. Okay. Anyway, so 1928. He doesn't want to do the second exorcism in their hometown. So he says he's going to find another place more suitable. So he calls Mm -hmm. his friend, 
Joseph Steiger, Reverend Father Joseph Steiger, who has a parish in Iowa, mm-hmm. Earling, Iowa, I believe it is. You're right. And he calls and he says, hey, I have this <laughs> woman. She happens to be possessed by demons. Oh, man. Can I use your place to expel them? That's a hard no on that. And actually, Jill, how how do you think that went, that conversation? I mean, it's a priest, right? So Uh he can't straight up be like, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to pass. You know, he's supposed to help people. So it was probably awkward. He probably was asking a lot of questions like, hey, have you checked Illinois? (laughs) Do you have any friends in, I don't know, Minnesota? Right, right, right. I get the uh, impression of that scene from Pulp Fiction in my head where John Travolta, his character Vince, has Uma Thurman's character in her car and she's ODing and he's driving her to Lance's house, the drug yes, dealer. Yes, the drug dealer. Yes. And he calls him. He's like, I have, she's ODing on me, man. <laughs> and well, don't bring her like, here. Right. Don't bring her here. Prank caller. Prank caller. And hangs up. <laughs> I get the feeling like that's the kind of interaction that took place here. Agreed. In the end, Father Joseph agreed to host the exorcist in his parish, but in the the nun's convent. I love this because this is what happened. So <laughs> Father Theo calls Reverend Joseph and he's like, hey, can you do me a solid? I got this situation where I got to expel some demons from this girl, Emma. <laughs> he's like, can I come by and do it by you? And then Reverend Joseph was like, Father Theo, you know, I'm I'm fine with it. But, you know, Mother Superior at the convent, you, I don't know how she's going to feel about the whole devil thing in her convent, you know? It, maybe you should talk to her about it first. And then if she says she's good with it, then I'm fine. And then Father Theo was like, oh, how serendipitous of you. Fa- Mother Superior already said it was fine. So then, like, Father J- Reverend Joseph was, like, probably quiet on the other line. <laughs> it sounds like he pulled a fast one. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. And this is a little town, Earling, Iowa. Just saying. All right. So they arrive separately. So Father Theo arrives. Emma arrives and and they meet oh there my God. and they're this in the convent. Is the, my favorite thing that could ever happen. If anything is funny about the story, this is it. Jennifer. <laughs> it's the evening before the planned exorcism mm-hmm. and they're they're getting Emma ready. They're preparing her for bed. They wanted to give her a little snacky. You know, it's going to be hard days ahead. And so what happens? So one of the very well-meaning nuns Mm. blesses the food before she brings it out to Emma. And apparently Emma loses her shit. Like she becomes <laughs> enraged. She just knows. She knows that it's been blessed. Oh my God. That's legit how I would react if someone tried to pass off a veggie burger to me as like a Whataburger. <laughs> I would be like, get this crap out of my sight. <laughs> yeah, I can see that happening. I think I've actually witnessed that. <laughs> like what back. kind of crap is this <laughs> you insult me needless to say they brought her different food that wasn't blessed so she calmed down a little yeah she was okay with it mm-hmm. apparently it was impossible not just the the blessed food but any blessed object or consecrated article if they brought it to her she would have quote-unquote intense sufferings 
Oof. And it would look like her her body glowing like coal in a fire. Oh, my. No, isn't that terrible? This is ridiculous. Okay, so now they start the exorcism. They do. Tell me how it goes down. (laughs) So before they even start, Jill, they need some muscle. (sighs) This bothers me. This bothers me, too. And they they suspect. Now they know he's done exorcism down. He knows the devil's not going to be like, oh, all right. You know, like, I'll, I'll relax. <laughs> oh, since you asked nicely. No, that's not how this is going to go down. So they anticipate there's going to be a fight. It's going to mm. be rough. It's going to be physically exhausting. So they ask Mother Superior to round up her strongest sisters. <laughs> Not spiritually strong. <laughs> they mean some hefty ass. <laughs> Thicker. Which, you're right, is not fair. Because as a big girl myself, <laughs> I really resent the fact that people look at you and oh. assume that you are physically able to do some shit that you don't want to do. Now, yeah, and they sh- don't know about my back. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just because I'm hefty don't mean i'm strong <laughs> i don't i don't work out you know my like, god can you imagine that assignment i'd be like what do you want me to do, lay on her like i don't like honestly <laughs> what are what are your expectations of this father because i don't want to be by her either man <laughs> it looks like she's coughing up some shit i don't know man <laughs> i don't know oh my god why don't they oh get the god. townspeople to help mm. No, oh, Jill. Anyway. They rounded up the quote unquote strongest nuns. It's poor oh, nuns. Offense. I know. Oh, poor big nuns. Okay. <laughs> so they rounded up the strongest nuns, and it was their job to assist in case anything might happen. Really? Great. Really? Just in Great. case anything might happen? Okay. And they were supposed to hold her down on the bed. Did they do a good job? <laughs> so I'll tell you. I've never been to an exorcism, but I've seen some movies, and there are prayers, there are there are rites, there's some splashing of the holy water. You know, it's a big mm. thing. Apparently, the possessed Emma was unconscious on the bed. Her eyes were closed so tightly that no one could open them. But, I mean, honestly, mm. if I close my eyes really tight, you couldn't open them either. You know what I mean? Like, mm. that's no big deal. Were they really trying, though? Like, if the devil was possessed, like, I wouldn't even try. I'd be like, no, she wants her eyes closed. Can we at least give her that? Like, you know what I mean? I wouldn't I wouldn't be like, no, her eyes must be open. I don't know. Go All on. Right. Okay. And I'm just going to give you an aside here. Up until I read this portion of the outline, <laughs> I was like, this bitch is just crazy. She's just psychotic. So, like, she had a mental break, and she's mm-hmm. acting out. There's much to do about nothing. And then I read this. So Father Theo was just barely beginning the rite of exorcism, and he He's named- like the name of the Father. Right, the yeah, yeah. He was naming the Blessed Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and the name of the crucified Savior, Literally, if you are Catholic, that is the beginning, the, the beginning. very beginning of any prayers. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then the prayer. So he gets to that that opening part and <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Like literally. The possessed Emma with lightning speed 
dislodged herself from her bed and the hands of the hefty nuns holding her down. (laughs) And her body flew across the room above the door where she clung to the wall. Fuck that. Clung to the wall like an insect. That is not okay. Up until then, I was like, (laughs) it's all in her head. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I cannot imagine those poor hefty nuns. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, Father Theo, like, knows what's going to happen, right? right? exactly. But, like, those thick-ass nuns were like, what? (laughs) So, you're right. Father Theo was the only one who kept his peace. Everybody else were, like, struck with fear. No kidding. And so he's like, pull her down. And so the sisters, the poor chubby sisters, were forced to... Pull the possessed Emma back Ugh. off the wall into bed and hold her down. And the exorcism resumed. I don't. I can't even imagine. Just I'm shaking just thinking about it. Just I would run my hefty ass out the door. <laughs> I would With not. Like an asthma inhaler. <laughs> I would not be staying. To have to touch her after that? No kidding. Do you have to pull her off the freaking wall? No, 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 no. no I'd be no, like, no, no. I'd be like, Father. It seems like she just wants to be on the wall. I don't Father, know. I think she asked for your help. <laughs> you look like a strong, buff man. Come on, Father. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. I, I'm a believer now, Jill. <laughs> I'm a believer. Okay. Oh, does it does it get better from there? No, kind of gets worse. <laughs> so then there's this loud shrill of a voice that fills the room. Now, here's the thing. Yes, anyone can scream. But the people in that room were convinced that it sounded like it was coming from far away. It was described as like a Satan's howl. Oh, like a pack geez. of wild beasts. But it was coming out of the possessed Emma's mouth, obviously. As if she was hollow. Oof. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. And everyone present was struck with terrible fear at that. But still, Father Theo just yelled back and demanded that Satan be silenced. But the howling continued until everyone in the neighborhood, in the town, could hear it. And they came. And that's when... The whole town was talking about this woman was being exercised in this convent. So much for anonymity and privacy. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it was so loud that the whole town heard. I mean, that's saying something. Jennifer, Oof. this sounds like atrocious, like the scariest thing on earth. How long did these poor, heavy little sisters have to hold <laughs> this beast down? The exorcism would last for 23 days over the course of three months. So they took breaks, but it kept going for three months. The total number of days was 23. And during that time, Emma just, her body became distorted. Her face became so distorted that people couldn't recognize her features 
She was pale and deathlike and emaciated. Her eyes were protruding from their sockets. Her lips were swelled. Now, this whole time, she's not eating a lot of solid food. And they're basically feeding her, you know, liquids. This is the worst. And yet, she would vomit unmentionable and unbelievable amounts of solids. They said it looked like chewed up macaroni. Yeah. But she wasn't eating macaroni. She wasn't eating anything. The possessed would spit vomit and unmentionable excrements from her mouth. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. That's the poopy macaroni. That is the poopy macaroni. They also said that she would understand languages that she previously couldn't understand. When they asked how many spirits had possessed her, she responded that there were many and that Beelzebub, they say that right? Beelzebub? Beelzebub. It sounds cute. It's too cute to be a demon, Beelzebub. It's a demon, Jill. He was the leader. Oh, you know what? Stop saying his name. I know. I am so sorry. I did not mean that. I'm not interested. I didn't want to go on. No kidding. Now you're coming on to demons. I just want to say you're flirting with demons. I know. I know. I, that's why I had, to, I had to just cut them off. I had to just be like, you know what? I'm married. I'm a child of the Lord. I've been baptized. All right. St. Michael's my friend. Mm-hmm. Don't come around here. When they were talking about the spirits that were possessing Emma, one of the ones who had a shout out was her own father. This is creepy AF, and we thought we had daddy issues. This is, like, next friggin' level. This is bad. This is, like, really bad. The spirits claimed that Emma's own father had cursed her, had cursed the spirits into her, and it was that reason that they had possessed her under the command of Satan. Apparently, her father came forth through her during the rite— as if she, he was a possessing spirit in her as well. Exactly. And it's then that it came out that he admitted trying to force his, his daughter to commit incest with him. Mm-mm. And when she resisted him, he cursed her and wished her inhumanely that the devils would enter her and entice her to commit every possible sin against chastity. And thereby ruin her body and soul. Jesus. That's so messed up. That is just not okay. Like, no. so bad. That's some dark shit. So. Okay, good news. You ready for some good news? Please, yes. All right. So, the day before Christmas Eve, hmm. December 23rd, 1928, Emma stood upright suddenly in her bed, and then she collapsed. Can you imagine every movement she makes? I would be like, oh, I know, like, I would no be kidding. like, for real. With a piercing screech, she bellowed the names of the demons who had been inside her. And then the sound slowly faded away, and there was a horrible, unearthly stench that filled the room. And it was then that she opened her eyes and shouted, My Jesus mercy, praise be Jesus Christ. And Father Theo emerged from the possessed woman's room, looking about 20 years older. Yeah, no shit. The devils had been recoiled back to hell. Okay, so 
Let's discuss. What do you think? Oh, my God. I need a drink. This is intense, like crazy. I know. So does this sound similar to The Exorcist? What are your thoughts? Do you think that this could have been an inspiration? I actually found a newspaper article about this. You know what? I do. I think there are some similarities. She was about 14 years old when the the possession started, flying off the bed, uh, reaction to holy objects, distortion of the body, the famous vomit, the languages. Oh. I think there are a lot of elements that I could see Blatty using in his book that would be turned into the movie. Yeah. I mean, what do you think? This is so much more scarier to me. Oh my god, to be yes. honest. Like so much more scarier to me. I do you think she was really possessed? I 100% know that she was possessed. Do you want me to tell you why? See, this is Do you want me to tell you why? <laughs> yes, tell me why. Not only did I read some shit that made me a believer, but as I was reading about Emma, don't do it, Jennifer. Don't do it, Jennifer. Don't do it, Jennifer. There were don't some anomalies that were happening in my house okay and i'm not gonna say anything else because i don't want to well, give that well, energy yeah, but yeah, yeah we'll talk yeah, about it later yeah. shit's we'll real jill the shit's okay, real i have a question what? i have a question what? for you because we talked last week about how does one come about being possessed and having your nasty ass fucking father want to have sex with you and then say no to that and then he curse you being possessed on you is not one of those things we discussed. So <laughs> what is that? It wasn't on our list. No, but obviously she had some serious childhood trauma, right? Like legit. This is more than adverse childhood situations. This is like an abusive father. And what we didn't mention before is that her mother died at a young age. So she was like in her, just at the mercy of her father. So that could have led to some darkness around the house. I mean, if he was that evil person, like, like you said in the last episode, if he was this person who that was his playground, then mm -hmm. that would absolutely attract some badness. Mm -hmm. I could see it. Just saying. I don't know. I'm just believing. I believe 100% that this poor woman was was possessed. Oh, by, for sure. I don't know. Call him demons. Call him Satan. Call him malevolent. This woman was possessed. She had some nasty stuff in her. And I do believe that it came from her childhood and her experience with her father. I mean, that's just that's just awful, awful, awful. I don't even want to go there in my mind. Let's change the subject. I'm scared. Okay. Um, lastly, what is your impression of Father Theo? I like Father Theo. I cannot believe that he was so, like, steadfast and still. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. With the hefty nuns all flitting about. Oh, my God. I cannot. I do. I lose my shit if my, like, if I'm at Starbucks for more than 15 minutes. Like, he is, like, <laughs> patient three months. And calm. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, I like him a That's lot. That's crazy. I do like him a lot. I admire him. I think he's a. I think that in spirit, I'm gonna say um, prayers for Father Theo just to be like, hey, shout out. Mm -hmm. He lived Good many years you. later. He lived many years later, and he did. I found his obit. Yeah, did you see that? I did. I did. I like that. That made me happy. Oof. All right. I wish I can say let's go to a better case. I know, <laughs> <laughs> but so you said this. This case is a little more well known. This case is a little more well-known, and the child's name is actually out there. The thing is, is that he did recover from this incident, as did Emma, and he had a family, and his 
relatives are still alive, so I'm still going to use his fake name. I will post a picture of him, though, because if you're not part of his family, you're not going to know that that's him. You know what I'm saying? He's just a random picture. But um, it, what's interesting about this case is that he, too, was around 14 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. It was a little later. It was 1949. That's right. And he was living in a quaint and wholesome Maryland suburb. But his life would soon take a detour. Mm-hmm. So I've read conflicting accounts about this, but part of the legend, I'll say, is that he had just recently lost his aunt due to illness. Right, Jill? So this is the thing. I not only, um, like, I found this guy's family. So his aunt actually was still alive when this, these, um, the infestation started, right? Mm, okay. But his his mom and his grandma were really religious, and for some reason, it's said that they didn't like her. There's accounts that like she was a spiritualist, or that um, there was an incestuous relationship between her and Robbie. None of what? that. There's yeah, like that's what they say. None of that I could find. All I know is that his aunt died on January twenty sixth. And his experience started, like, January 18th. And she lived in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And he lived in the Maryland area. Mm -hmm. So the accounts of how close they were, I mean, this is in the 1940s, like, 1949s. How often is he going to be seeing her Mm. and vice versa? So just keep that in mind and Mm. take it with a grain of salt. But go on. Okay. I mean, this story at this point has become a legend, right? And there's a lot written about it. But part of the story goes that he was working through grief over his aunt's premature death, and he was using a spirit board to communicate with his dead aunt. Mm-hmm. And, and by spirit board, I mean like the Ouija board. Right. And it was about that time when strange noises began to emanate from the walls of his home. Mm-hmm. And they would hear scratching noises from his bedroom. Not only he, but other members of the family would hear scratching coming from his freaking bedroom. So last week we talked about your friend. Uh-huh. Or the light bulb. Uh-huh. And he was seeing the light bulb yes. move. Yes. Well, similarly, when I was reading some accounts, this that popped into my mind because Robbie was in his grandma's room with his grandma and they were hearing knocks. And the grandma goes, because this was after, this is like early February, the grandma's like, hey, um, Harriet, that's not her real name. Harriet, is that you? Is it you, Aunt Harriet? <gasps> no, no, and no. It, yeah, uh-huh. and it did it again, and she—that's why they were like, "Oh, no, Harriet's involved in this." Oh, and God. they actually like when apparently when Catholic priests um, involve themselves with exorcism, they have an exorcist diary. So in the exorcist diary of this account, it was like Grandma and Mom are crazy. They're blaming Aunt Harriet who died after this things already started that is happening. Nuts, Jill. That I is know, nuts. but that's there's what more. That reminded me of. There's more. Tell me. There would be water randomly dripping from the walls. Mm. And apparently, Robbie would be jolted while sleeping in his bed because his mattress would move without explanation. Mm. So, Robbie's family sought help for him. And they went to the doctors and they went to psychiatrists. Good call. Mm -hmm. But no one was able to come up with any diagnosis or course of treatment. They basically explored every medical 
psychiatric avenue known at the time, and nothing could explain what was going on. Can I tell you something else? What? So Robbie was in grade school at the time, and he was at his desk, like, during homeroom or whatever, like, math class, whatever. And his death started rattling. Like, no. As if, swear to God, it was, this is the account. They were picking up the desk and, like, and it was going down. And so the teacher's like, hey, Robbie, you want to stop? And he's like, I'm not doing it. And he had his hands in the air and the desk was still doing it. And they, like, that was the last time of the school year that he was in school. Took him out of school. Either they took him out of school or the teacher was like, your son's disturbing my class. Mm. Either way, he didn't go back to school again that year. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, like you said, February 1949, Robbie is from an evangelical Lutheran family. And so they seek out their family's minister, a Luther Schultz. Mm-hmm. He was one of the first people to see the graphic manifestations from Robbie. And then he was like, yeah, this is a job for the Catholic Church. I can't help you. <sighs> it kind of makes me proud to be Catholic. <laughs> like, that's right. <laughs> So, Jill, what was happening with Robbie? Tell us a little bit about some of his manifestations. Um, He was, like, in a trance-like state. Words would appear on his skin. He would make, like, guttural, like, growling sounds. Objects would mysteriously fly in the boy's presence. And he would be subject to, like, violent, violent seizures that didn't look like epilepsy or anything that could have been diagnosed at the time. Almost like he was throwing himself about. And he wasn't. He was tested for physical illnesses and neurological disorders. That's right. So he was a mess. He was a mess. Again, I think it's interesting that he's, like, 14, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot is going on when you're 14 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, I was a little shit when I was 14. So was I. I I was acting out. Did you? No, you really didn't, Jen. You really didn't. (laughs) I think a lot of people act out at that age, is my point. You don't have to call me out. (laughs) Like, like, I was in jail. Like, you... (laughs) I was sneaking, like, Bartles and James wine coolers. And I remember when you were in eighth grade, mom like was opening the bottle for you. So that doesn't even count. <laughs> but whatever. That, that makes anyway. her sound like a bad mom. <laughs> I'm just telling. Oh, I'm looking at her picture. Hi, mom. <laughs> um, anyway, my point is, is like at first they were attributing his behavior as being like an awkward kid mm-hmm. and being socially like adolescent. Exactly. Which I would have thought, OK, fine, maybe until we started reading about the exorcism itself, and then I was like, yeah, no, this is a little more serious than that. So hmm. please tell me a little bit about the exorcism. Well, the Catholic Church investigated and gave the green light for the exorcism because, you know, you just can't do that. You need permission. And mm-hmm. they were like, yep, this is legit. You go for it. And it was a priest, Father Albert Hughes, who was to be the exorcist. <laughs> Father Hughes began reciting the ritual. You know, we talked about the father, you know, all the things he, he starts. Mm-hmm. And although Robbie was strapped down to his bed, he somehow managed to rip a metal spring from the bed and slash the priest with it, mm. shoulder to wrist, and the wound would require over a hundred stitches. So that Father Hughes withdrew <laughs> his position as a head exorcist. And no, he he left. He did not want to have anything else to do with this kid. 
he didn't leave the church. Like he, he still, there were still accounts of him like doing burials and, but he did not touch Robbie. Like he was like, you know what? I bit off a little more than I can chew. My eyes were a little bigger than my belly. Okay. So (laughs) not cool. Mm, That that's, Mm. that's a rather extreme reaction. You don't come back and are a normal person after doing that to a priest. Mm. Like usually that behavior like is, you know, accelerated or there's still that kind of antisocial personality disorder behaviors that you have going into adulthood because the kid's like 14 at the time. Mm -hmm. You don't just bounce back from that. Like, no, something's seriously wrong with him. Hold on to that thought. Well, he sounds pretty fucked up right now, like by the devil. He sure does. He sure does. So just days after Father Hughes withdraws from this entire situation and doesn't come back, well, you know what? Good on him, too, because a lot of fathers would have, like, hung in there. And not admit defeat. Yeah. Yeah. Good yeah, on him. That's You know what? I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. That takes a lot of courage to admit that you're in over your head. Mm-hmm. All right. So a few days after he leaves, they notice the word Lewis on Robbie's body. It's red scratches. The word <sighs> Lewis. And coincidentally, the Catholic Diocese of Washington, D.C. suggests that he transfer to St. Louis, where another father, Father Bowdern, would take over and begin a new exorcism in that location. The weird thing about it is, is that St. Louis is where Robbie was born. It's where his parents met and it's where his father's family was, like Aunt um, his aunt that died was living in St. Louis. So for the diocese to be like, yeah, St. Louis is a good place. You, you'll you find help there. It seemed like it, everything was coming together. Mm-hmm. So this time, though, Father Bowdern, the head exorcist, had six other priests assisting him. So he did not have to depend on hefty nuns. Just saying. I know. He came prepared. He did Father prepared. Theo. Father Theo, you can learn something here. Maybe they learned something in the 20 years. Like hefty nuns scares too easily. You need <laughs> Okay, so Robbie's transferred to St. Louis, and there his manifestations continue. They're scratching on his body. The mattress is moving violently. Mm-mm-mm-mm. So the priest would walk in, and they'd see him apparently lying still on the bed, but the bed would be violently shaking. And they're hearing howls. He's howling like a wounded animal. There's holy water that flies through the air and smashes against the wall and an entire bookcase moves from alongside the bed and turns completely around facing the entrance of the room. That's not okay. That is not okay. Mm -mm, Not okay. Um, Also, according to sources, whenever the rites were read, like the Father, Son, and Holy Holy Spirit, there were three dark bars that would just appear scratched across the boy's stomach. And the priest took this to believe it was a reaction to the Holy Trinity. Oh, so they were thinking like, okay, we're on the right track. Yeah, like we're making it like we're, yeah. Man, I mean, bookcases are moving and there are three scratches on the body. I don't know. It seems like it seems like the devil's winning this one, guys. Well, maybe they're focused on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. I mean, whatever gets you through the day. The word hell just became imprinted on his chest. And there was a whole there was something that they believed to be the image of Satan that appeared on his right leg. Like just a lot of 
physical. Like a wicked tattoo? I don't know. Jeez. Oh, my God. It was also reported that he displayed prodigious strength and violent outbreaks. It took three men to restrain him when he was having one of his fits. I wonder how um, many nuns three men equals. <laughs> What's the exchange rate on that? <laughs> how many chubby nuns to three men? At one point, he broke the nose of one of the priests there. Yeah. Man. By March 20th, it's not going well, and he's becoming increasingly violent. <laughs> you would say, right? <laughs> like, um, guys? He's urinating on the bed, and apparently his it's causing severe burns on his body. There's horrendous smells filling the room. Well, see, to me, that's not a sign of possession. Like, he's he's peeing all over the room. Like, yeah, it's going to, like... Like, when was the last time he had a shower? Exactly. Right? Who's hosing this kid I mean, down? he's 14. Need we say more? Oh, for, oh, ain't that the truth? Adolescents stink. When you're not peeing on yourself. Right. He was then taken to Alexian Brothers Hospital mm. in mid-April, and that was when the final exorcism was conducted in the psychiatric wing of that hospital. On April 18th, 1949. Apparently the priest forced rosaries and religious medallions all around him on his neck and forced a crucifix into his hand. Around 10.45 p.m. that evening, while five men held Robbie down, the boy suddenly became deathly still. And in a clear, booming voice, he shouted, Satan, Satan, I am St. Michael, and I command you, Satan, and the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name in the name of God immediately, now, now. And then seven minutes later, he woke up smiling like nothing had happened. Now, if he woke up smiling, I would still be suspicious as fuck. I would be, like, still sprinkling him with holy water. <laughs> I'd be like, nope, fool me once. That's right. Like, have you ever, have you never seen a horror movie? You don't stop. <laughs> you don't stop when you think it's over. It's still in there. It's coming mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Just the smile. Why are you smiling? Do you like you smell yourself? <laughs> like for real, dude? Oh. oh. Thoughts, parallels to the exorcist? Any? Well, you've got the scratches on the skin, the moving furniture, moving objects, the voices, the growls. That's all in in the movie. In the book, I imagine. I didn't read the book, to be completely honest, but I mean, yeah, I can see how this would inspire a book to then inspire the movie. There's a lot, especially that dresser part. What about the origins of possession? What are your thoughts on it? I feel like this is classic. Really? I have trouble with this one. I'm not sure anymore. Yes. Oh, 100%. Really? I'll tell you. Why are you sure that this is like legit? Because this is a kid who is um, an only child who has an overbearing mother, an overbearing grandmother living in the house that are like crazy, like Lutheran religious. And he's, you know, cultivating chaos at first. I think he was just a naughty boy at first. He probably wasn't the best kid. Was he like demonic naughty? No, but he wasn't the best kid. And then weird shit started happening around the house and they were giving it attention. Mm-hmm. It was classic infestation. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I When you told me about the desk thing, that sounds like a kid acting out. And then your points about overbearingly strict household, that would just, I think, fuel a 14-year-old to flip his shit even more. Do you know what I mean? Especially mm-hmm. if he's in this devout Lutheran overbearing, you know, kind of situation. I don't I don't know. Yeah. 
I think legit. You do? I'll tell you something else. And we didn't talk about this before, so I apologize. One of the the priests who were assisting Father Bowdrin mm-hmm. during this exorcism was a Father Halloran. And Father Halloran mm-hmm. was the one who got his nose broken. And he mm-hmm. was alive as late as 2000. And there was mm-hmm. an interview from mm-hmm. out of, did you listen to it? Out of no, I know exactly what you're talking about. FM News Talk St. Radio Lewis. out of Missouri, yes. yes. And if you yes. go to the Wikipedia page entitled Exorcism of Roland Doe, at the bottom there is a link, and you can listen to this man, Father Halloran, mm-hmm. in the year 2000, talk about this experience. And he is so nonchalant. He did not believe that – there was anything other than the boy acting out, that the voices, he could tell that they were voices of the boys. They weren't demonic voices. That the the scratching, he believed that the boy scratched himself. Now, did he mention the dresser moving? He did not. But here's what he did mention. He did mention that he was almost hit in the head by a vial of holy water that was sitting on a dresser that nobody was near. And it flew at his head. Now, I don't know how I feel about that bit of information because I think that there was something supernatural happening for sure. But I think it stems from Robbie himself, the boy. Maybe he had some telekinetic powers and was able to move things. But I don't know. I I think it stemmed from him. I don't think he was possessed. So I would just say this. The gentleman leading... The Jesuit charge of exorcism in this, in Robbie's case. Bowdern. Father Bowdern. Father Bowdern had taken him to um, his own dwelling where he was living at the time and observed him by himself overnight. And there was some really weird shit that he described. And he wrote a letter to, um, gosh, the name of the university. I think it's Drake University in, is it North Carolina? I'm not sure. There's a head. He, he wrote a letter to the head of the parapsychology unit of that university, and the letter is still on file in a book called "When the Devil Came to St. Louis." Mm-hmm. Also, I want to say this: just because we talk a lot about like evidence, but evidence itself is subjective, That's right? True. That's, That's why true. you have nine jurors on like deciding on a court case so what i think is like oh holy shit like this is totally evident and totally makes sense to me someone else is like this is not like i agree with you yep 100 percent. so it's not unusual to have people disagree but there is something really weird going on i agree and i do think there's something supernatural going on 100 Mm percent. objects don't just fly across the room in you know everyday life that's not that's not okay that's not all right i just question whether or not it was the boy himself and i also think it's suspicious that all of a sudden it stops when they decide to take him to a psychiatric hospital you know mm. like no longer mm-hmm. we're not playing anymore now they're going to lock me up for life i better snap the sh- you know snap out of it so um this kid ended up growing up and becoming a uh, a NASA scientist. No. And, yeah, he did. And wow. he retired in 2000 with like accolades. You can read, if you really do the research on this person, you could read about like his accolades and his life. That's crazy. 
it is so that is crazy. not consistent with somebody that would be doing the things that you're describing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the intention. So I don't know. Although I don't know. I do... Adolescence is a crazy time, Jill. I did some shit when I was And like, you're not the honestly. same person. I don't know. But I... the foundation is this. I was always trying to like mm. be good. But my ideas. I'm not sure don't... about this one. Emma, I'm 100% on board. That was well, freaking demonic possession. I don't know. Jury's still out for me on this one. But I respect your opinion on it. We don't have to I'm fight. I'm going to sit with it. <laughs> I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to sit with it for a minute. Jill, are we done with our season? We're done with our season. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do now? <laughs> uh, well, we're going to try to do bonus episodes at least once or twice a month to keep relevant until June, but we're going to still be traveling and um, getting ready for have, season three. Yes, we have stories lined up for season three because we didn't get to them all in this season. We have New York State. We have another story. We have Utah. Mm. We have to research and then you and i are going to take a baby little mini trip in november hopefully yeah. that all works out we've got some travel on the calendar for sure yeah and we might be um on a bonus episode of a different podcast in the near future which i really hope happens because i'm going to die r.i.p jill because i'm really excited about it <laughs> so um our listeners hey we really appreciate our fans we really really do it's incredible to think that we have fans, but thank you for listening. And while we're on this hiatus, do us a favor and tell three people you know about us, people who are like-minded that you think might enjoy this kind of podcast material. We would love to grow our audience even while we're on our off season. So thank you. We love you. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for listening and being so interactive with us and excited about the content we put out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jill, tell the people where they can find us. Well, check out our website, commonmystics.net. Check in on our Twitter feed, Facebook, and Instagram accounts at Common Mystics Pod. Also, you can listen in on wherever you're finding your favorite podcast. Check us out on Apple Podcasts where you can leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thank you and good night. Thank you and good night.